You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. I'm excited to start a new year with you guys. It's going to be a good year, 2024. I'm excited to see what the Lord does. And uh, next week, we're going to start a new sermon series called I Am. It's the seven I Am sayings of Jesus in the book of John. So we're going to start that next week. But before we started into our new sermon series and sort of running towards Easter, I really wanted to just take a, a week and, and kind of just gather together again and talk about a just cause and what um, we as a community, both, both as a community and personally, really want to seek this year. And what do we want to really put our purpose into, our, our passion, our gifts, our talents into this year? And so we're going to talk about a, 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 what's called a just cause and our just cause of health this year in 2024. And, um, you know, one of my heroes in history was Martin Luther King Jr. Anybody else in that boat with me, big MLK fans? And uh, he was such a rememberable person because he had a powerful just cause, a cause so just that it compelled people to jump on board. It it motivated people. The, The racial equality of our nation was something that was, was, it spoke to people's hearts and souls, and they said, yes, this is the right thing to pursue. You know, it, it caused him to oppose things in this world that were, that were against um, the, the drive of the cause. It was something that he would peacefully conduct and, and didn't want to do through violence or riots, this idea of racial equality among all men, something that I think the Lord and, and the Bible teaches clearly. And he ultimately sacrificed for it. He, he gave his own life to be able to, for the cause of racial equality in our nation, he paid the ultimate price. And, and it had me thinking as I was praying through this, and I've been praying about this for months now, going into last fall, into this year, and, and I, I was just thinking, what is a just cause, Lord, that we can all jump on board like, like a racial equality in the time of Martin Luther King, something that we all find purpose in, something that's motivating and compelling and something that we can really just go all in on and say, yes, this is who we are and what we want to be as a community and as a people. A just cause that gets us all excited about coming together and experiencing the goodness of God here amongst us today. So I want to walk through that a little bit before we jump into the next series. And I mean, it's just going to be a run towards Easter and the rest of the year starts. And so I really want to just take a pause and go through this just cause and and the word, again, that I think the Lord really has highlighted in my head is the word health, a just cause of health. And I'm not talking about uh, the fact or any, I'm not talking about necessarily like you eat right, which I think you should, right? It's a good thing. If that's your New Year's resolution to eat better or work out, that's great. I'm trying to walk more. My car broke down, so I was walking. I was kind of forced into it for a little while there. But it was something I enjoyed still and, and found purpose in. It was nice. But what I'm really talking about more is this idea of what does it mean to be a healthy church? What does it mean to be a healthy church or even a, a healthy follower of Jesus? And again, I'm not saying this because I think we're sick. I think we are a very healthy church in general. I mean, healthy churches are resilient. And I don't know if I've ever seen a more resilient group of people in my life than this community. Um, I mean, you talk about what the last four years looks like as a church. You go from from global pandemics to the pandemic of loneliness, to the pandemic of disconnection, 
to relational things. I mean, it's, it's been a four years, am I right? And now we're looking at this idea that we're here and we're thriving as a community and we're seeking the Lord together. I mean, just look around this room and you think this is a resilient group of people. In fact, I think the Palouse itself is a group of resilient people. It's pretty uh, encouraging to be able to join into that. Healthy churches are generous and missional. And again, we are a, it's been a blessing to be able just to drop into this community and see the generosity of this community and the missional aspect of this community. The fact that we have people who want to spend thousands of dollars to, to help Pakistan, people we've never even met, to help with the, the slave labor and the, built, the brick kilns and things. Like that was a, an encouraging and an aspect of a healthy church. So I'm not saying that we are necessarily even a sick church, but that we need to be very mindful and aware of what our cause is when it comes to how do we pursue a healthy church and why this is important and what that even looks like. What does it even mean to be a church that's healthy? So let's look at that today as a just cause that we can all jump on board, that we can, that we can invite people into, that we can say, yes, this is something I believe in. This is something I want to see happen, not just for me and myself, but for my family, for my relatives, for my neighbors next door, for those who don't believe in Jesus, for those who are college kids who are coming in. We have thousands of kids that just kind of come in for a certain time and then leave. What does it mean to be a healthy church for them? So in 2024, I want to build on the foundation of health by helping us understand why a healthy church is a just cause and why we should invite people into it. You guys ready? All right. So let's talk about health and glory. What is the connection between health in glory, because understanding why a healthy church is important begins with that Christianese phrase, glory be to God. I think it's something, if you've been in church long enough or you've walked with Jesus long enough, you've heard people say, all glory be to God, God be glorified. We sing it in hymns, we sing it in songs, and it becomes kind of just a Christianese phrase for us to say. I don't think, there was a long time in my life, and I, I grew up a pastor's kid, you know, gave my life to the Lord at eight years old. I did all the things that you would think I would know this thing. And I was probably like 29 before I realized what glory meant. Because it just was a phrase that I just, just repeated over and over again. What does it mean to bring glory to God in the highest, for example? So what does glory mean? Glory means to give honor or significance to either a person or thing. It's the significance or reputation of a person or thing. So to give honor or significance to something and heighten its reputation. The Hebrew word for glory is the word kavod. It's a good word, kavod. It means heaviness or weight. There's a, there's a great story in the Old Testament about a rather large man, and he was kavod, kavod. He was heavy, heavy. One of my favorite stories. But it also just this idea of the weight and heaviness of a particular reputation, a significant, you know, if you look at a particular a person in our day, we might look at an athlete and a Super Bowl winning athlete, or we have the national championship tomorrow, like they're going to have a sense of heaviness and glory, whoever wins that. There's a significance, there's a reputation, there's a, there's a heightened weight upon them that we give them because they were the national college football champion. I mean, do we cheer for Washington here? I don't even know. I'm like texting people. I'm like, I don't know who to cheer for. Go Michigan. (laughs) And the house was divided. Sorry, let me get back on track here. 
So in the Bible as well as today, we often see glory as it's, it's through images, right? So the image of a college football national championship or the image of a person that we, we like to follow and give glory to, someone we admire, there's heaviness and weight there. There's, there's kavod in the sense of glory. And there's really this idea, and especially if you read about it in the Old Testament in particular, you see this idea of good glory and poor glory. Like you can give good glory, you can show it and image it really well, and you can image it very, very poorly. You know, one thing that I, when I go to Colfax, I love golfing in Colfax during the summertime, and so I'll drive through Main Street, and there's a statue that I always drive by that I always think about, the Civil War statue in Colfax. Anybody see, everybody has seen that when you go to Colfax? Go to Colfax, you'll see it, it's there. And this is something we do that actually the Bible does as well. It's an image that represents and signifies the honor and reputation of a particular person or group of people. So this is a civil memorial honoring and giving significance and reputation to those who passed and died in the Civil War. So as you pass it, you look at it, you said, this is a good image that properly gives glory to those who died and fought in the Civil War. This would be something the Bible would, would absolutely, the people in the Old Testament would have fully understood. They would have understood what this meant. You know, they had kings. If you, if you wanted to glorify the king that you were serving, you made an image of them in your city, maybe at the city gates when you first came in, and that would then show his kavod, his glory, his significance, his reputation when you came into the city. And we do the same thing. All of our cities are full with our statues and, and memorials of people from our histories or whatnot that we like to glorify. And this is something that the scriptures and the people of the Old Testament and New Testament would have fully understood. This, they would have said this is a good way to glorify him. It honored them. It gave reputation, significance as something worth glorifying. You know, but the, see, the biblical example of this is, is Solomon, the first kings, when he builds the temple. The temple of, for the Jews was really the, the sole purpose of it was to glorify God was that his name and his reputation, his significance, and his honor would be seen for many nations. And that's what we read about in 1 Kings, is, is all the gold, all the cedar wood from Lebanon, all the, the fancy and extravagant temple that was built for God in Jerusalem was there for sole purpose was to glorify him, to bring his name high so that people would walk into the city and go, wow, who is this great and mighty God of Israel? That was the sole purpose of it. And when the, when the temple is then filled with that gray smoke and this priest can't even get inside, it's the significance of God and the reputation of God living within the temple, residing amongst his people. And they would have said, this is good glory. This is the way that God should be glorified. It properly represents who he is, his character, that we should stand in awe before him and that we should look at him with admiration. And then on the other side, we have a way of glorifying poorly. It's also poorly, you can also poorly image the glory of somebody. If you were to walk into my office, you'll see this lovely portrait. It gives me great joy. This was, this was painted by one of our youth. I talked to him before I did this. So he knows I'm doing this. And, um, you know, as, as this painting may give me great joy when I look at it, and I didn't let Corbin throw it away. I wanted to keep it in my office. It doesn't exactly capture his image very well, does it? Like if this was all that was left of Corbin, a hundred years from now, and they go, I think this guy had a problem. <laughs> right? This isn't exactly 
glorifying Corbin very well in the image of who he is, does it? I think Corbin is a much better looking person than this, this, this pack. This picture captures. He may disagree with me, but I think, I think this doesn't capture his likeness very well. And it happens a lot in the Bible as well. If we image poorly the thing that we are representing and trying to give significance to, it actually deters from the reputation and significance of that thing that we are trying to glorify. Like, this could definitely hinder Corbin's reputation. If we're like, this is what Corbin looks like. His image, for all of you to see, it may not give him the best reputation, significance, and honor in our sight. And the biblical example there is, is there, the biblical example is there as well. When, when in first, uh, I almost said first Solomon, first Samuel, there's a story of when Israel fights a great battle against the Philistines and they lose, and they lose the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant is actually stolen from them and taken to the Philistine cities. And now God does some really cool stuff when that happens, but the Bible teaches us that the glory of Israel was poorly imaged. It says that they, they, the glory of Israel was deeply affected because of this event, that their reputation was deeply affected. The, the Lord's God reputation was deeply affected because his people had lost the most precious item that belonged to them, and it was to their enemies. And so the enemies could then boast, look how great we are, look how poor your God is, all those types of things because of how poorly they imaged and represented and signified their God. And so we also must think about, when we think about just cause and, and what we're jumping on board with, and we're thinking about what it means to be a healthy church, we have to think by how are we glorifying God? Are we doing it well? Like the Civil War Memorial, are we glorifying God well? When we, when we go places individually or as a community, do we represent him in a way that brings honor and significance and weight, that when people look at our community, they look at our lives individually, they go, wow, who is this great God that they serve? Wow, look at the admiration they have for this great God. Look at this admiration they have for one another. This is something that we also want to jump on board with. Or are we a people who forget about the just cause and we start imaging poorly who our God is into our communities? Are we, we going to be like this picture of Corbin and go, this isn't exactly what God looks like. This, you know, we, we're not imaging him well. We're not giving him the proper glory into our communities. And, and we all can assume and probably know people who have been affected by communities of people who represent God who have done it poorly. It's, a, it's something that is a bit of a, another pandemic in our society, our churches who are unhealthy, who poorly image God to their communities and to their people. And it glorifies God in a way that's poor. Pointing people in the community to the things that are not of God, that are not in relation to his character, that do not properly represent who he is. When a church community isn't healthy, it's like Corbin's portrait of himself. Of, of, it's difficult to see who this was ever supposed to be. And that's what happens when we don't put the just cause of a healthy church in the forefront of our mind dedicate ourselves to it, say, yes, this is something I'm compelled to be a part of. I'm motivated. There's, there's passion behind pursuing this. Because when the Bible is taken literally but not seriously, people are misled. People are misled, and God is poorly glorified. When suffering people enter our community but are turned away, it feels like God has turned his back 
on them, doesn't it? When people have bad church experiences, when we seek uniformity rather than unity, we lose sight that people are the priority. We stop being the church. When people feel welcome, when people don't feel welcome because of their past, how are they ever supposed to honor a God that brings forgiveness and flips the scripts in our lives? When we've made church about the building, we dishonor the fact that we are about relationship with each other under the name of the Lord. All these reasons, these are the top five reasons people actually leave the community of God. When they don't, when the Bible is taken literally but not seriously. When suffering people enter our community and are turned away. When people have bad church experiences. When people don't feel welcome because of their past. When we've made church about buildings. Those are the top five reasons why people leave the community of God. These are the reasons why people find cause in leaving this community that oftentimes when they're doing it, when this happens, it's unhealthy. The church has become about something else other than health and a just cause of what it means to glorify God. So how we image, how we reflect God in our individual lives, how we treat people individually, how we go into our world and how we work in our, our, work, our jobs, how we represent people in our families, how we, everything that we do every day and every minute of the day is spent imaging something, representing something. The significance and honor of our God is spent. Think about that as a just cause. Should we pursue a healthy church that reflects well the glory of God? As a community, every time we gather together for anything, Anytime that you, you go out and, and you say, hey, I, I go to Real Life Church Pullman, there is a significance and a reputation and an honor that's there. And I don't really care about Real Life Church Pullman's reputation. I care about the reputation of the God that we serve's reputation, under the name of whom we serve, reputation, his glory, his honor that's at stake when we represent ourselves into the community. This should cause us to stop for a moment and question what we are pursuing. What we care about is important. How we conduct ourselves, how we think about the lives that we live. And it all rates back to the just cause of humanity. What does it mean to be human? What does it mean to even be here on this planet? Because the just cause for all of humanity is to image God well. That's the question, the million dollar question that people have been asking since the the history of man. Why are we here? What is our purpose in being here? Look at Psalm 8, 5 through 9. This is referencing Genesis 1, 26. It's a reflection of the psalmist in Genesis 1. He says, you made him, humanity, little less than the angels or the heavenly beings and crowned them with glory and honor. But the Lord has crowned humanity with glory and honor. You made him humanity ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all the sheep and oxen, as well as the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. The purpose of man crowned with God's glory and honor is to represent him throughout all of creation. That everywhere we go within creation, that we represent and glorify the mighty creator God. That is the call of humanity. Now, some of humanity does that well, and some of humanity does that very, very poorly. 
and then depends on the day. Sometimes it depends on the hour, how well we represent God in our life. But this is the why. This is the why and the answer to the question of why the just cause of humanity is important. Our purpose is to represent God. That is our purpose of being on this planet. Do you, do you honor and, and give significance? Do you give kavod, the heaviness of God in your life? Do you walk it out in creation? When we fail to do this, God is not glorified. It's like when the, when the Philistines captured the ark and Israel's glory was removed. The honor significance. When we do this poorly, it's like when we're sitting there going, oh, we lost the most significant thing. We, we've, we've, we've brought about the poor glory of our Lord to the world. Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He says in 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all things for the glory of God. Do all things so that God's name would be heightened, that his his reputation would be known, his, his greatness would be made aware. And the context of that is, is really just how do we love one another? The gist of it. The gist of it is the context is how do we just love somebody well? How do we love each other well that gives God the glory? How do we love our community well that gives God the glory? How do we choose to, to meet somebody where they're at, even though we struggle to meet them, but for the sake of God getting the glory, do we do that? The purpose and existence of, of this church, of this community, is a place that brings glory to the name of God. That is the, the bottom line just cause that I'm asking us to really put in the forefront of our mind this year. This is kind of annoying. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like robotics over here. But it's this idea of like, what do we jump onto that we can really get hold of? And I think it's to the, to the very basic line. It's just, we are here to give glory to God, to make his name great, to bring his, his significance great, his reputation great in everything that we do individually and as a community. Healthy churches are not found by, by how many programs we conduct in a year. I'm not going to get up here like, like some probably do and say, here's our vision for 2024, and we're going to launch 10 new product programs. Like, we we kind of have to get out of that mentality a little bit. Like, I, I don't have any problem with programs. Like, I think there are good, and we should, we should have things going here. But don't put your hope in that this program is going to do it. Yes, we get together. Yes, we, we break bread together. We... We have breakfast together. We do all these things together. We have Bible studies. We have men's and women's groups. We have a lot going on. But it's really just about this idea of, of, of understanding that we are in a just cause together. There is a purpose of coming together as a people for the sake of our lordship under Christ. Worth giving our lives to like Martin Luther King, worth the sacrifice, worth giving our lives to, worth, worth going through the difficult moments, the resiliency of seeing God's kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. We cannot forget that important piece of the Lord's Prayer, that we're not here just to prepare ourselves for heaven, but we are here to bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven. Healthy churches pursue the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. This transcends Sundays. Sundays are my favorite day of the week. I love getting together with all of you. 
It's so much more than an hour on a Sunday. It's every moment of every day where you're thinking about how am I bringing about the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven? How am I bringing about the glory of God in my life? His reputation, his love, his power. How are people around me experiencing this? Because God is so ready to just pour out his power, his love, his gifts, his fruits all over us. We have to see the importance of bringing it and walking with it. Healthy churches live a life of faith in their King Jesus, reflecting and imaging him well into the world. This is the number one priority. They reflect the living God, our King Jesus, into the world. Unhealthy churches develop when the individuals and the community find their just cause outside of the simple truth of of giving glory to God or in self-glorification. It becomes about how we make this church glorified rather than the king that we serve. That can become unhealthy. So I ask us, is health a just cause? Is pursuing what it means to be a healthy church a just cause that will compel us and motivate us and propel us to a deeper intimacy with the Lord and a deeper relationship and intimacy with each other? Is that something that you can get on board with? Here at RLC Pullman, though, we do pursue, and how we live at a healthy church is something that I went through for eight weeks last fall, so I won't redo the entire eight-week series that I taught. You can go back and watch it if you had never heard of our, our Good Church series. But we do it through what's called the Hebrew word tov. It's how we live this out. Tov. Tov is the Hebrew word for good or goodness. And so we are a people who pursue the culture of God's goodness. I think of, of my job as the, the senior pastor is the engine of culture. The culture of, that, it, that is found here is, is really something that I focus on driving out into our our culture, and this is why I talk about Tov. Some of you are probably so sick of Tov. But I think it's so important that we continually keep this in the forefront of because it's part of who we are. So this fall, I introduced us to Tov, which is the foundation of how we pursue God's goodness within our culture. So let me just briefly, I'm just going to go through our tenets of Tov here real quick, just because it seems like a good time to do that. Probably won't do it again for a while. But if you're new, this is a good chance to get an idea of who we are. The first ten of Tob is we resist narcissism and value empathy. We are a listen-first people. We, God gave us two ears and one mouth that we should use what he's given us most of more often. That we listen more than we speak. We care for others more than we care about our own needs. We, we look at the person in front of us and say, what does this person need? How can I reach them? How can I, can, I, can I be what they need at this moment for them? We reach them with empathy, listening, caring what they have. We value empathy. Proverbs twelve fifteen says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise one listens to advice. We're open to correction. We're open to, to being wrong. We're open to correcting and moving forward together. The second ten is we resist false narratives and value truth. We value truth over spun stories and are a people who desire to be transparent, 
and authentic. That's, that's my promise to you, and, and keep me accountable to this, will you, that, that we are a people who, who thrive in transparency. As difficult as that might be sometimes, we must be a people who are transparent with each other, not meeting each other with, with this idea of distrust, but trusting in one another that I'm going to be transparent and authentic, and I hope that we'll be met with each other with transparency and authenticity. We value truth, which means we have to be transparent and authentic, even when it's hard. 1 John 3.18 says, Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Third one is we resist power by fear and value grace. We don't use power and authority against one another. You won't see me try to flex an authoritative arm in this place. I just won't do it. Instead, we value grace and reconciliation. We, we dig into the hard stuff together. We shouldn't be afraid to meet with one another out of fear that this person might hurt me, whatever it is. We value the grace of being able to be met and loved and reconciled. Matthew 20, 25-27, Jesus says this, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. The words of the Lord. The next one is we resist institution creep and value a people-first mentality. We don't grade our greatness on KPIs. You won't hear me get up here and say, hey, we're a successful church. We baptized 25 people last month. You won't, we don't judge ourselves based off of our giving units as a church. We make decisions based off of a people-first mentality, what is best for people. God cares about people, the mission, our people. How do we make decisions that with people-first mentality rather than maybe trying to protect the organization, the 501c3 of our LC Pullman? Because I will, I will go preach in a barn in negative two degrees. I do not care. I've preached in basements. Like it, it does not matter if it's a building, if it's outside. The Lord will be glorified. We resist loyalty culture and value justice. We don't protect ourselves, but we value doing the right thing. We value in pursuit of the right thing. We're, we're not caught up in these lines of loyalty to one person or another. We're, we're about trying to seek after the just thing, the right thing to do in every situation. Micah 6, 8, the famous verse around justice says this, He has told you, mortal one, what is good, what is tov. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to do the right thing. Love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. The next one is we resist celebrity culture and value service. We don't put people on pedestals, but value a life of service to one another. We're not looking for the next great speaker. We're not looking for the next great leader. We're not looking for that. We're we're looking at people. Are you willing to go so far underneath one another as slaves? As Dulos, as Jesus commanded us, are we willing to go so deep with somebody that we'd be willing to, to meet them at the lowest point rather than trying to get up on top of people all the time? Which is what our culture, our, our secular culture cherishes, right? The biggest, the most popular. We are to be the opposite. How do we make ourselves irrelevant? 
I think the pastors of the future are going to be the most irrelevant people. And the communities are the ones that are to be celebrated. Romans 12.10 says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And the last one is, We resist a leader-centric culture and value Christ-likeness. All of them lead into this. We don't make our leaders to be kings, but collectively and individually we seek to glorify the one and only and true king of this world, Jesus Christ. And we search and we dedicate our lives to reflect that Christ-likeness into not only our life, but in the lives of those around us. Because every human being has is, is been designed and built to, to want to be close to their God. But they have filled it with so many other things that try to fill the hole, and it becomes empty, becomes shallow, becomes destructive. Our cultures, our societies, our families all need people who value Christ's likeness above everything else. Ephesians 2.10 says this, we were created for his, where we, were, we are his workmanship, his, his poema, his poems, created in Christ Jesus for good works, for tove things, to do tove things in this world, which God prepared for us beforehand that we should walk in them. So walk in the ways of tove. So this is our just cause. Tov is how we live this out as a church, as a community. The just cause is that we glorify God through the action of Tov out into not only here, but out into the rest of the areas of this, of this world, starting in the Palouse. And in 2024, moving forward, we are continuing to pursue that. We are building on to that and whatever that might look like. We are praying about how the Lord wants to live this out through us and amongst us. But it starts with this community saying, yes. This is a just cause that I can get on board with. This is a a community that I can grow in. This is a a cause that I want to see developed and built on to the foundation of the resiliency of this place, the generosity of this place, the missional attitude of this place, for the glory of the one God we serve. So this is a cause that's not just for us within this building. Don't do this because you're like, this sounds like a place I want to be, which is, I mean, that's a good place to start. But I have my, my new sweater my friend gave me this week, and I thought it was fitting to wear today because when God is glorified in a place, it's the responsibility of those who are experiencing God's glory to invite people into it. To say, hey, there is a, a place where God is glorified so well that I cannot stand my neighbors not being a part of it. That I cannot stand my family who is seeking after Jesus Christ, and, and maybe they've had some hard times, some tough struggles with church, with God, whatever it might be, and say, here is at least a place where they can feel loved, that they will be treated well, that they will have transparency and authenticity, that there will be a place to heal and grow and develop as a disciple of Jesus. There are many in our community of, who had poor image of, of Jesus presented to them. They've had poor reflections of Jesus cast upon them. We have many in our, our communities who are dealing with traumas when it comes to church or even maybe the way that they understood how God should act on their behalf. And so this is something that we invite people into. Is, hey, we are a just cause that we invite people into to experience the glory of God, to experience the living God here amongst us as, as in the days of Solomon when God's glory filled the temple Paul reflects on this and says that we now, the community of God, are the living temple where God's glory now dwells. 
Invite people into it. Come and see that God's glory is being revealed to the people of this community. It starts with the responsibility of reflecting that glory out and inviting people into it because God is in the people business. He wants to meet them where they are, and we are working and praying to devote this place to the glory of God and humility. And I have one question, one measurement of a healthy church, just one. The only question I would ask is this, is this a place where you feel safe to invite your friends and family? Think about that this week. Is this a place where you feel safe for your friends and family to come in and experience the glory of God? If you can't say yes to that, talk with me. Let's make this place a place where you feel like you can invite your friends and family and they will be loved cherished, cared for, valued, challenged, and equipped. We do that together. We do that as a community. We do that as a family. Is this a cause where you know that when you came, when you come in the doors, or when you come into the event, when you come into the activity, when you come into the house, whatever it is, that you're going to encounter the living God in all his glory? Who's on board? Raise your hand if you're on board. I say, this is a just cause that I can get on board with. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.